Warning, the Not Thought Podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for various anime throughout the course of this episode. Please use caution in case we discuss a series you haven't finished. Finally, the opinion expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Not Thought Podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Dot Talk, where a group of nerds come together to talk about the latest and greatest in anime. And it's that time of the year again. Uh, it's blazing hot. Everything's on fire. Global warming is really bad. <laughs> it's it's that it's summer. It's time for more summer at the movies. Oh, that, that's not where I thought you were going with this at all. I thought I thought this was going to be. Uh, it's that time of the year again. It is uh, protest global warming season. Yes, and we're going to be covering Captain Planet. Yes, we're going to be covering the dub of Captain Planet to celebrate uh, stopping global warming. But I like your idea better. Summer at the movies is way more upbeat. <laughs> Yeah, so, oh yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, don't, uh, I mean, don't worry, we'll, we will be talking about it instead of subject, we'll be talking about terrorism. So, oh, goody! Oh, uh, <laughs> everyone's favorite topic, yay! Yeah, uh, so, uh, we're here to talk about a, a very interesting movie, or rather, a pair of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, re- uh, re- the Recycle of the Penguin Drum films, which, for those who don't know, are... Compilated versions of the Penguin Drum TV series from 2000 and... It was either 2011 or 2013. The, se- the series came out in 2011. And then the... Mo- so, uh, I think the movies came out to celebrate the 10-year anniversary. So, they, they were in production to be released around 2021, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, very fitting time to talk about it then, um, now that the English dub is finally available, because uh, we never really got a chance to talk about the TV series in the whole 10,000 years we've been doing this podcast. So I'm glad that you uh, suggested this as our Summer at the Movie entry, because oh boy, are there thoughts to be had. Yeah, so, uh, yep, uh, for those who don't know, uh, the TV series was uh, originally picked up by Sentai Filmworks, and it was dubbed, and... Uh, Okay, uh, uh, there are a couple of things I should probably disclose before we get into this, so uh, <laughs> probably going to be pretty impassioned about this. First and foremost, uh, Penguin Drum is one of my favorite anime, like, period. I don't know if it's still the favorite, but it's at least, like, top three for me, so I have very strong opinions about this series. And the second thing you should know is that uh, neither of us were particularly big fans of the dub for the TV series. Oh, no. No, this, uh, for those who, uh, maybe are a little on the younger side, um, the dub for this, uh, was made in that very awkward period for Sentai Filmworks where they hadn't quite, uh, reestablished themselves after ADV's collapse in 2009, and so, uh, they were very short on dubbing staff and cautious about how many projects they were going to be dubbing. There were a lot of sub-only releases around that time. So, the expectation for Penguin Drum being this very complex, Ikuhara-written, highly symbolic series was that it would be very hard to dub correctly, as someone had already tried to dub the Revolutionary Girl Utena series a time before that. So, we're like, okay, just don't be like that. 
And, well, unfortunately, um, it, it didn't quite capture, I think, what we expected an English translation of the series to be. It, it was a little flat, uh, a little goofy sounding, and not quite up to the caliber of the subject matter that we're about to talk about. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, I, yeah, so when these movies came out, I was definitely interested in the prospect of, was this one getting a new dub? And uh, wondering mm -hmm. who was going to end up picking this up. Uh, so, uh, for a while, I speculated it might be like Jeekus or something, just because uh, there was a re-release of the TV series like a couple of years ago by uh, Anime Limited, and it was apparently done in conjunction with the president of Jeekus, so I sort of assumed Jeekus was going to come and swoop in and get this, but nope. Uh, it's another backward Sentai, and uh, mm -hmm. where you would, okay, and where, would, where you would expect, like, okay, they'll probably, like, uh, get back the cast for the cast for the TV series, like, or at least as many of them as they can, because, uh, there's a couple of folks we can't, they, uh, either can't get back or would definitely not get back for, uh, reasons should, we're not going to talk about. Yeah, should not get back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and, and we, I guess we should also preface that when we criticize the, the TV series, uh, it wasn't really the actors themselves, because the original TV series was full of actors who have done really good stuff, including plenty of great stuff for Sentai. Uh, we're going to lay the blame entirely on the direction from that series. So, just wanted to yep. throw that out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, this uh, ended up back with Sentai, and for some reason or another, uh, it has a completely different cast from the TV series. As entirely, we yeah. Every character, every uh, bit part. Maybe the engineer is the same. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, all the the character, the people we're going to talk about, entirely different. Yeah, uh, yeah. There are a couple of actors for the TV series who are in here, but they're in like bit parts. So uh, yeah, very, definitely just uh, very curious. I do kind of wonder what went on there, but uh, at any rate, uh, we are here to talk about the dub. So, uh, so I who, guess we who can... are we, by the way? I don't think we introduce who we are. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm Jet, and I'm joined by my buddy, Noah Kalu. Welcome to Rock and Roll Night. Welcome to Rock and Roll Night. You're a rock and roll man. Yep, uh, so as we briefly met at the beginning, this is a podcast where we, uh, where we discuss and review English dubs, and that's basically what we're here to do today. So, uh, as always, we're going to start off with talking about the... We're talking about the folks behind the scenes, the but, ADR stuff. Before we do that, can we briefly describe what the movie is? Because there may be, there are probably people out there who haven't actually seen Penguin Drum before. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, but actually, you know what? Let me go back to ANN and pull up the plot description. So, uh, Hibari Takakura passes away after Gloria got a trip with her brothers, twins, Kanba, and Shoma. She was, however, miraculously saved by a spirit in a penguin-shaped hat. And in, in return for her extended life, the twins must search for an item known as the penguin drum, with the aid of three penguins which are only visible to the siblings. And boy, is that plot description, like, really a late craftsman service. That, that is the bare-bones thing. Girl passes out, brought back to life by, you heard it correctly, spirit of a penguin hat that you can get at an aquarium. And yes, that is only one of about five different plots going on in this whole thing, mixed in with 
characters who are in unrequited love relationships, characters who enter into relationships to hide who they truly are, terrorism, and symbolism about smashing society and not getting caught in the vicious cycle of abuse like you were when you were a child. Uh, yeah, uh, lots of, yeah, lots of stuff about, uh, family, and, uh, both how, to both how, uh, our family can be important, and also how, like, real family can hurt you, a lot. And all wrapped up with cute, anthropomorphic, squishy penguins. Who don't talk. Uh, yep. So, uh, yeah, we are gonna have quite a bit to talk about, but, uh, as mentioned before, we are going to start... This is catching by talking about the ADR staff for the dub. Mm-hmm. So, who are the lucky chums who got to turn this from Japanese into English? Yep. Uh, so, for our ADR director, we have one John Swayze. Woo-hoo! And for the ADR script, we have Marta Beckerl. Hell yeah. So, uh, John Swayze is a pretty regular director in Sentai and has done direct worked on dubs such as After the Rain... Vanguard Saga Season 1, and Review Starlight. <laughs> Another show that has tenuous relationships to Ikuhara stuff, because that's also a, a surrealist, symbolism-heavy series with a talking giraffe. Yep. You could have called that and, show Giraffe Drum. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it is, that was uh, definitely very clearly picking some future Ikuhara stuff. Not quite as dense, but it was pretty interesting. Well, I mean, they're both heavily inspired. Like, Ikuhara is heavily inspired by uh, Takunozaku uh, review, uh, like, stage performances. And that show was, like, literally about characters in that kind of stage performance. Ah, uh, that really does explain everything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Ikuhara's influences are... Uh, he's very heavily influenced by stage stuff. Not really anime, which is very surprising that he ended up directing, like... Sailor Moon, and then creating uh, Utena and Penguin Drum and Sorry Nazanmai and that kind of stuff. You'd think he'd be more of a, a like a who was the person who directed um, the Lion King Broadway adaptation? Julie Taymor. Like I think he that would be more of his forte. Uh, yeah, but boy, it's really kind of weird wondering what it would have been like on Earth where like where they didn't reject all its ideas with Sailor Moon as they like let him kill off. Uh... God, what characters was Pickwick's characters instead of where he tried to kill off? I think. I don't. I, I, I think don't, it might have. I think it might have been the Outer Guardians. I can't remember. I don't either because <laughs> I haven't actually seen that that far into Sailor Moon aside from tertiary clips. Speaking of writing, um, who again? Uh, what has Marta Bechtel done in the past? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, she's probably uh, the most regular uh, scriptwriter in Sentai and has done scripts on such shows as Akuma Maid War. Food Wars and Made in the Abyss. Uh, yeah, amongst yeah many, many, many other things. Uh, uh, yeah, lots and lots of stuff. Yeah, and, and for good reason, too. I remember when we covered Food Wars, gave good props for her writing on that. Um, don't think we've covered uh, Made in the Abyss yet, although we probably should at some point. Um, very different shows from this series, though. Um, so, yeah, uh, if we could just jump into uh, how to talk about this... Um, well, first, I'll say that I do think that the direction and writing was better in this uh, set of recap films than it was in the TV show. That being said, I don't think it was their best work. I don't think this is John and Marta's best work overall. Solely yeah, because uh, yeah, I agree. It's hard to match the tone. Like, this is a very 
characters are talking about one thing, but it actually symbolizes something else. While the visuals in the background don't quite match what they're talking about, there's not a there is a linear plot, but you have to be paying very close attention to the jump between flashbacks, the insertion of symbolic characters and uh, side characters that represent other things. There's ghost characters that are like, why are you even here? And so with that in mind, I feel like John's direction to the to the actors was play this as straight as possible. Like, ignore all the wacky surrealist shenanigans going on in the nonlinear storytelling and just play this straight, which is a is a respectable way to handle material, but I feel like it kind of misses the opportunity to lean into the surreal uh, over-the-topness of it because the content matter is about some very deep emotional things. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It did feel like they were maybe playing it a little straighter than they could have. And the direction, also, and yeah, I don't. And yeah, the direction does feel a little weird because. Uh, yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of stronger dubs from John Swayze, some of which I just mentioned, like After the Rain and Middle of the Top Season 1 were, like, really good dubs that I would consider among the best since I has put out, so... Uh, this, yeah, this actually sounds a little rougher around the edges, which, uh, which I don't know if it maybe is, like, John kind of struggling to maybe grasp what the material was going for, but it does sound pretty rough starting out. Having said that, I will say this, and it is kind of weirdly similar to how I felt with the TV series. I felt like it did pick up rather notably in the second movie. Do you think that's because the character, the, the actors, like, grasp the concept better? Or just because the material in the second half lent itself more to what we're used to in anime dubbing to begin with? Yeah, uh, uh, probably, a little bit of, probably a little bit of both. Like, it's... Uh, like, I do enjoy the first half of Penguin Drum a lot, but a lot of it is just kind of very clear setup for what the second half does, because the real meat of the story is simply in the second half of the series. Mm -hmm. So it, so in that respect, it does kind of make sense that that is where the dub uh, notably picks up. But uh, the first half is a lot rougher around the edges than I would have expected from something John Swayze directed, and that is a little disappointing. But uh, so, uh, but there but there are some but there are some performances here I like and uh, so, and I did walk away from it with a better impression than I did with the TV series dub so, uh, so so in that respect I am at least like somewhat pleased. Well, that, and, you had a better opinion because it was less time, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I do wonder exactly how much time they had to work on this, which uh, maybe might also contribute to. That's some of the roughness with the first movie. You think that their uh, the ADR staff in English was rushed for time? Uh, as a, I, I, I mean, as a, I mean, it's possible because these are movies, so like, I don't so like I don't know exactly how much time they would want to spend on something like this. But again, like, I don't know, and uh, I mean, unless you're in the studio, you can't really know for sure. It's just uh, me speculating. I mean, it is possible that um, the amount of dialogue uh, compared to your average movie was uh, higher than uh, other movies we've seen, especially ones dubbed uh, by Sentai. So I, I can imagine that that lent itself to maybe not getting as many takes or trying as much variety in the performances in the booth. And that's purely speculation. If I'm wrong, John, anyone in the comments, please tell me. 
but uh, there did seem to be like a very uniform tone in the direction, especially in the first half, that didn't lend itself to a lot of variation, even when the scenes themselves required some variation. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. and as far as the script goes, I did think it was solid, but uh, it does kind of, and funnily enough, I, and funnily enough, it's very into the Nikahara thing. I did feel like it was maybe a little more literal than it maybe needed to be. Which is kind of funny, because uh, technically the script for the first Penguin, for the Penguin on TV series was also kind of like that. Yeah. But the problem there was that the translation was just kind of terrible to begin with, so uh, there wasn't really a whole lot that could do there. <laughs> well, I, I appreciated some of the writing choices in this where it wasn't so um, straightforward. Like, there's a scene near the beginning where they're having uh, dinner together, the three main characters, and Kanba... Uh, just kind of says like this 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 soup is rocking or something like that and it was like that's not uh what a uh, term i've heard in a dub since like 2003 so i appreciated that but outside of small bits like that there's a whole lot of like you said straightforward adaptation uh writing to it's english like it is uh not stilted dialogue and the way that they're saying it does sound normal but it is very literal Probably because they understood that the audience needs as much straightforward translations of what the characters are feeling and talking about that any deviation from that may lead to a misinterpretation of the themes. Because we, yeah, we uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is fair, but I mean, I mean, there has been like a creative script for any horror thing that actually works. Uh, not mine. Which, yes. uh, Unfortunately, I. So considered to be the best that any horror thing has ever gotten. I haven't but, uh, watched I haven't watched Yuri Kuma Arashi in a while, but I remember uh, finding that to be a pretty good adaptation as well. Um, uh, was... uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, Yuri Kuma Arashi was like really good, but it was also just kind of like it, it, it was a perfectly it was a perfectly fine dub, but it wasn't like the most amazing thing. Sarazawa I thought was like a little more inspired as a dub. Yeah, and I think that was benefited by the fact that uh, Yurikuma Arashi was a little more repetitive in the scenes. Like, they, they recycle a lot of the same uh, imagery and lines from the characters a lot in that. Whereas with Sarizanmai, there is repeated scenes. Like, there's the, the otters, the otterly sexy scene, or there's the transformation sequences. But there's a lot more variety in the uh, individual episodes and then the grand theme at the end lends itself to a lot more liberal interpretation, whereas Yurikuma Arashi was like, lesbianism is frowned upon in society, and that's not a good thing. And it was like, uh, this is very not subtle at all. Like, from the opening, you can tell exactly what this show is about. Whereas in this show, they're just all over the place. I really feel like uh, Marta, Martha had the challenge of adapting five major themes that were in this movie and making them palatable to the viewers. And she did that by not really giving any of the characters distinct, uh, I'm sorry, um, different ways of talking. Um, I kind of feel like putting aside the performances from the actors that all of the characters kind of uh, deliver lines and speak in a roughly the same ways to each other. Yeah, I would say so. Um, the thing I will all, I will praise though absolutely is um, the the parts where the show's supposed to be funny, they are because Ikuhara's brand of funny is like deadpan funny. Um, there's a handful of scenes like uh, there's a scene where Ringo needs to get some frog eggs 
And the only way to do that is to have a teenage boy lay down and have the frog lay the eggs on his back. Yes, that is very gross. But the way that she uh, kind of breaks it to Shoma that uh, he needs to help out with this is like, you heard us. You heard what the book had to say. Now strip down. Ah, that was a good bit. <laughs> it was a good yeah. bit of levity. Uh, did not enjoy watching the actual frog scene entirely, but yeah, that was a nice yeah. little bit of... Yeah, we'll have a little bit of humor in here in between our stalking and trying to make a love potion because, yeah, we need a little bit of levity. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah the Rainbow Seven Dinner was probably uh, the wackiest part of the show. It was. I remember it being wackier in the TV show, but only because she had more episodes, so there's, like, more uh, attempts that she had. Like, we got to see, like, the escalation go further and further. And in this, we just see, like, the main thing she does. We see her stalking under the floorboards. We see her bringing the curry over. We see her uh, getting the love potion made up and then the ultimate resolution of that unfortunate potion. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, do kind of regret we couldn't get a lot of the, like, really wacky Ringo faces, but uh, we found a decent amount. <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> yeah. I wonder... Uh, was there I wonder if the fact that uh, Ringo is uh, the Japanese word for apple is going to be significant later in this discussion. Oh, boy. I wonder. <laughs> With that, uh, we're going to be getting into our cast. Uh, thankfully, uh, despite the fact that this is since we compilated uh, a movie of a 24-episode series, there actually aren't that many important characters, so we can more or less split this into two sections. Mm -hmm. So for our first section, we're going to be talking about the supporting cast. We have uh, Momoko Okamide. Sanatoshi, uh, the baby penguin, who is a new character for this movie. Okay. I mean, yeah, thank you for well, pointing a, well, yeah. a new, well, a new character in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that character design from the TV show, but I think you're going to get into an explanation of what they were in the original series. And yeah, proceed. And then we have uh, Keiju Tabuki and Yuri Tokigago. So, uh, Mo so uh, Momoka is the older sister of Ringo, who is uh, who died in... So, okay, all right, uh, you know what, we might as well just get this out of the way now. So, there's a sure. lot of uh, imagery in this show that uses the number 95. And that isn't just a random number, that is a type... It is supposed to be symbolic of 1995. Which, as uh, we all know, is the year that... Uh, Toy Story came out and is the same number that is on Lightning McQueen. So that's clearly what they're referencing, right? Uh, not quite. It is, oh, a reference to, it is a reference to the uh, 1995 sarin gas attacks in Japan, which was a terrorist attack uh, carried out by a group called um, Shimkyo. Uh, uh, if you don't know who they are, you might have actually seen what their leader looks like in anime. Uh, if you've ever seen the uh, Mochi Mochi Jesus Asu like image, <laughs> that's actually the leader of Amshinko. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those who uh, maybe don't remember uh, the time period, um, just to reference how bad that attack was, because it wasn't just like, uh, ooh, a little bit of explosions. No, like, it was so bad that uh, the production of Neon Genesis Evangelion actually had to change some of the plot points in their episodes they were planning because the terrorism subplot that they were working towards was too similar to what actually happened in real life and they didn't want to get that close to real life. 
say, uh, yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, that was a real-life incident, and, uh, it's referenced really heavily throughout the show, and it's a pretty important plot point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, so going back into that, uh, Momoka was a victim of the gas attacts, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, as we find out, and as we discover later on, uh, she's, uh, she actually has a mysterious power to... Uh, to alter destiny using her diary, and uh, it's never really explained why that is. It's just kind of something we have to roll with, and <laughs> and, uh, and uh, obviously, I mean, it's hard to say what the exact allegory with her is, but uh, funny enough, considering this actually did came out in the same year as Minoka um, Magica, because she's also basically a magical girl Jesus when you really think about it. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'll, um. I'm not sure if uh, anyone's ever classified Penguin Drama as a magical girl show, but yeah, that Madoka comparison crossed my mind as well while rewatching this. Yeah. So. So, yep. Uh, so, continuing, we have Sadaturji, who was the. Uh, who was, in fact, the main villain of the TV series. He doesn't have quite as much main presence here, but, uh. Yeah, uh, he's. He's introduced as a mysterious doctor who, uh. And the Hibari collapses a second time midway through the story. Uh, he shows up to offer a special kind of medicine that will help Hibari, but also doesn't really. And uh, as we discover later on, he seemingly seems to have a connection to uh, to the Takakura's parents. But uh, as we find out, he is in fact a ghost. And, uh, and I mean this quite literally. He is a ghost and... Uh, Symbolically, he is kind of supposed to be a sort of literal metaphor for a ghost of the past and the fact that you, and the idea that you cannot escape the past no matter how hard you try, that's kind of what he's going for. That, that's a really good explanation, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, continuing, we have the baby penguin who is initially introduced as a new character who is kind of a little helper for Momoka, but uh... Midway through uh, the little baby penguin's introduction, it gets hit. It gets hit with a mysterious sticker and then gets possessed. For a while, you don't know who's possessing the penguin, but uh, as as he speaks more, you kind of realize, oh yeah, it's not a choice possessing the penguin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just but putting putting the brakes on the main character's attempts to heal their sister, to like, basically not have a bad existence, and that penguin. Uh, it, you just, just kind of hate that penguin. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, very, uh, just very mean and decided to, like, make it sound totally adorable for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and continuing, uh, Tabuki is, uh, uh, Tabuki is a high school teacher who's, uh, Joba's homeroom teacher, and, uh, he's initially, uh, introduced into the story as, uh, being stopped by Ringo, who is obsessed with him for reasons we will later get into, and initially, and initially, it just kind of seems like he's on the wrong end of that and doesn't have any other particular connection to the characters. But then, as we discover later on the story, he was he was childhood friends with Momoka, who uh, who helped him out after he kind of had a very uh, rough relationship with his mother, which uh, we'll probably talk about in a bit. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, after Momoka died in the accident, he. And so, uh, he's uh, obviously pretty broken up about that. And so, uh, during the second half of the story, he decides to take revenge on Joba and the others. 
And then we have Yuri, who is uh, who was originally introduced as as Sabuki's fiance, and also seemingly doesn't really seem to have much of a connection to the characters starting mm-hmm. out. But when we, but then we discover she's also a childhood friend of Momoka, and uh, yeah. she also had a very uncomfortable relationship with uh, one of her parents. So let's just put the the yeah. chisel might not actually be a chisel. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big yikes. Also, yeah. uh, considering the fact that um, uh, Yuri here was best friends with another girl, uh, and her name is Yuri, and she's in the Nikuhara series, I'm going to assume that she is a uh, straight, straighty, mixed straight, straight, right? No, 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 she is. Uh, <laughs> uh, she is quite gay. Uh, it isn't. Uh, so, so unfortunately, it wasn't able to make its way into the compilation movie for some. For some reason, but uh, she did in fact have a lover who uh, so, so, uh, who did show up at some point and was actually the person who stabbed Tabuki towards the end of the movie, which isn't explained in the movie itself for some reason. So uh, yeah, if you're wondering who stabbed him, that's who it was. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there's just one too many things going on here, and I'm kind of glad um, that character was a good wedge in the TV series. But there's, I think we got the main problem with uh, both Yuri and Tabuki in this series that being childhood traumas, and it's like, that's enough. We don't need to go into any more of how messed up they are. Yeah, oh, that's fair. So, uh, getting into who plays these characters, uh, for Momoka, we have Olivia Swayze for Tadatoshi, we have Dickie Sanders. Uh, for the Baby Penguin, we have, okay, I am actually not sure how to pronounce this, um, Coakley uh, Soprota, uh, if I pronounce your name wrong, I am really, really sorry. I think that's uh, right. Yeah. Uh, for Tabuki, we have Brandon Herzberger. And for Yuri, we have Patricia Duran. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia Swayze, his place as characters as Madoka Ibuchi and Ahiro Dosora, Ikinda in I'm Quitting Heroin, and Yilba in Vinland Saga Season 1. Uh, Dickie Sanders, uh, Seems to be a newer face at Sentai, as far as uh, as far as I can tell. The only other credits I could find for him was uh, the King of Midgar and Evidence and Shadow, which seemed to be a more of a bit role. So this is the first major thing he's done. And uh, as I couldn't find any like social media stuff for him, I'm not I'm not sure, but I think he might be a British actor or like a British descent because. Uh, he very clearly has an accent. I'm not sure. I, I'm seeing a Richard Sanders on behind the voice actors, but considering that they did uh, parts in uh, like Batman Beyond from 1999, I'm going to assume that's not the same actor. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, so uh, continuing, uh, uh, Koki Saprota uh, also seems to be a newer face of Sentai coordinator, and this is. Uh, the, this is their only anime credit at the moment, so uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandon has done has played his characters as John Montague in the Sepalier Dion, uh, Wakuzan in Mid the Season 2, and Ray in the Irritate uh, Osra remake. And then Patricia Duran has played such characters as Kaiko Kubo in After the Rain, Dolte in Release of Price. And, and master into a through darkness. Out of curiosity, since you mentioned Yurusei Yatsura 2022, have you been watching that? Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 
I've been enjoying it. It's I haven't seen like I never really watched the original Disney Entourage, so I don't have too much reference, but uh, I've been enjoying that quite a bit, and I've also been enjoying the dub a lot. It is um, it's actually really charming. I would actually say it's probably my favorite Simul Dub Sometimes ever put out. Excellent. I mean, you only really need to see one episode of the original Yurusei Yatsura uh, to get that show. So uh, if, if you're giving uh, the 2022 series a recommendation, I'm going to take that as a positive because I've been putting that off until I actually uh, get some of it uh, released. And I know some of it has now. So I because I'm like, I know I'm going to be tempted to like binge it. So I was waiting for a back catalog of it to come out. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the dub, yeah, the dub is completely out now, or at least for as much of the show itself as that, so, uh... Right. Yeah, if you have the chance, uh, don't pretend to that, it's actually a pretty tough gun. Will do. Right after I finish, uh, Bochi the Rock. That's how behind I am. Uh, uh Bochi the Rock is a good show, man, which it, I dub. It is, and I, yes, I do too. But that's beside the point. Uh, the characters in this dub, um, uh, so I'll give, uh, the compliments right up front here. Um, each of the characters... In this section, to my to my memory, uh, fit the tone that the characters should fit based on their age, based on their personality, and based on the uh, their own unique trauma. Uh, Olivia's Momoko is uh, a little more um, flighty sound, lighter sounding, uh, fitting for her um, savior girl mentality that she has to some of the other characters. A uh, bit of a Jesus metaphor there, because she has to die, obviously. Um, and it's unique from Yur from Patricia's Yuri, uh, who um, I love the um, the very um, forced... I don't want to call it forced happiness, but the the smile she gives to uh, to the characters when she's... She knows what they're scheming and isn't giving in to, like, uh, to let them buy, but isn't calling them out to their face. Like, specifically, that whole first movie where uh, we have... Um, uh, sorry, Ringo is uh, trying to get it on with Tabuki, uh, and Patricia's got to be like, oh, thank you for coming. You know, Tabuki really enjoyed that curry. Oh, and don't worry, I made sure to put your shoes away, so don't worry about it. Like, I, I really liked that particular performance. So, yeah, uh, all of the char the individual characters sounded good for their actors, for their characters. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I do think uh, I do think Patricia and Brad in particular are kind of interesting because, uh, I will say that they probably had maybe I felt the biggest contrast in the between the first and second movies, where uh, in the first movie I actually thought both of them sounded a little rougher than I would have expected, especially Patricia because I have heard her in a lot of other things and I know she generally does good work. So I was a little surprised that her Yuri sounded a little shaky in the first movie, but uh, it's a, uh, it definitely improved a lot in the second movie. Which I guess makes sense, because that's where we kind of go into a lot more with Yuri's character. And specifically, I thought she was really good when it came to the whole Bentley Yuri backstory. And uh, everything going on with her and her father, I thought Patricia handled a lot of that really well. Absolutely. Her struggling with um, hating the, the story of, um, uh, what is it, the, the ugly duckling, and the way that she... Uh, basically tells Momoko uh, to stay away from her because she thinks that Momoko's just being nice because she pities her. Yeah, that was a very good uh, delivery on Patricia's part, and it really is the meatier part of her character that... I, I don't know if I'd say it was uh, less... Uh, I don't know if i really say the first part was shakier. Maybe I just didn't notice exactly. But I do agree that it's definitely the most compelling part of Yuri's performance. And so, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and similarly, uh, 
Yeah, in some I wasn't quite sure what Brandon was going for in the first movie, but I was really, I was really impressed with him in the second movie, particularly uh, during the bit where he uh, kidnaps Ibari and uh, threatens <laughs> Shonen, and threatens Shonen Kamba. I thought he, I thought it was really great in that scene. Well, I think what, um, maybe if you, what we were expecting when you first heard Brandon's performance was that uh, he was going to have a bit of a, a younger shonen kind of voice. Um, and I, I get the sense that uh, they made him, they told him, no, this is supposed to be like a young teacher character, so don't make him sound uh, too high schoolery. We've already got two high school males in the cast. And not only did that fit to emphasize the age difference, but it also uh, meant that when he had to slip into the, uh, the more sinister side of him, like you were saying, with the kidnapping in the second movie, it didn't come completely out of left field because his voice was already fitting to that pitch of a, a less nice guy. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I will say it is uh, definitely interesting uh, hearing him compared to uh, looking back on what I remember of the TV series because uh, if you don't remember, uh, Sabuki actually had two actors in the TV series because uh, for some reason... Uh, because for some reason, uh, there were a few cast changes between the first and the second half of the TV series. I'm not sure why that is. Apparently that happened with a couple of other Sentai dubs back then. I guess they had a little bit more trouble with, uh, I don't know, I guess, making sure people were booked. So. Yeah, I get, um, yeah. If I remember, I have the, um, the original DVD release, and yeah, they released it in two halves. So I'm going to assume that the first release was dubbed in, uh, like in a group. And then they released the DVD, and then they worked on the second half. And you're probably right; there was a, a little trouble keeping people between those two recording sessions for some of the characters. Although I'll admit, I watched the second half of the TV series in sub because I enjoyed it more in sub. So I didn't even notice that there was a different English voice actor for Tabuki in the TV series. Uh, uh yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is kind of funny. Uh, well, it is kind of funny you mentioned that because I actually thought the dub for the Tech half of the TV series was a little better, partially because it changed directors, which uh, might explain a lot. But, uh, and I also thought the uh, second actor for Tabuki was a lot better in the TV series. That was, uh, so, uh, that was Andrew Love. I thought he was a pretty big improvement over the first one. But I also really like what Brandon's bringing to the table. I think he's. I think, uh, I think between the three, he was probably the best casting for the role, I felt. You know what the the part of Brandon's performance that everyone's going to remember from this from these movies is, right? Yeah. What what I'm thinking the drunk on frog juice scenes. Oh oh yeah oh oh he was a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun, that's the goofy fun part where he he gets this this one night love potion and he's say like Ringo, let's be together, Ribbit. We should we should Ribbit together, Ribbit. Yep. And uh, talking about uh, Yuri and uh, Tabuki together, I thought their whole dynamic uh, in the show was pretty interesting because, as mentioned before, they are introduced as kind of being fiancé. So you would assume, uh, so you would assume they're in love with each other. But then, when we discover the second half, uh, they're both kind of so very much not what over what happened to Mobika, and they are both um, so very much in love with her and not so much each other, which I thought was very interesting. I mean, it's. I'm not sure what the inspiration for that was in the original writing, but it does remind me a lot of like in the uh, like in the 50s 
in Hollywood, like in America, you would have a lot of gay actors who would find uh, a het woman to marry who was totally in on their secret, but went along with it because they knew that their friend would be like ostracized if they were uh, if the people found out they were gay. So they were a good cover for them. And this is like a gender flip version of that, where you've got an actor who is lesbian but can't really reveal that to the world, and so is kind of using Tabuki as a bit of a cover, while also lean, they're both leaning on each other over their trauma, over losing their simultaneous best friend when they were younger. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I thought that uh, whole dynamic was pretty interesting, especially since, uh, as we discovered, Tabuki is the one who kind of can't really bring himself to buy into their dynamic, and then, and then kind of does sort of come around in the end, where... As a, as a, or I guess they do kind of, or I guess they do kind of accept that they do at least have each other in some sense, so mm -hmm. and can at least you know help each other cope with the loss in some way. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting bit about found family, which is a thing that's going to come up quite a lot in talking about these movies. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's kind of hits you over the head with it. It do, it takes a while for us to figure out that that's the theme because. Again, the show is juggling a lot of different themes and imagery, but yeah, if, if you're watching the movie or the TV show and you're, you're having a hard time following what the show is about, just keep in mind, found family is good. That's the only thing you have to remember as the primary core to the show. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of uh, Momika, uh, Olivia's Momika? Uh, so, uh, so, um, I like um, I liked it a lot. I do remember uh, Brittany Karbowski was Momoka in the TV series. Okay. Uh, so, I didn't like Brittany Karbowski a lot, so I don't remember exactly how good that performance was. But I did. Uh, so, uh, but I but I didn't like what Olivia brought to the table. I thought she had. Uh, I thought she had the right. I thought she had the right amount of energy, sounding. Uh, so, um, sounding very mysterious and ethereal in a way that was appropriate. I do think she maybe didn't sound quite as exaggerated as I would have expected whenever she, you know, you need to shout imagine or something like that. I kind of thought she could have maybe sounded a little more over the top with stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but whenever she needed to be dramatic, I thought she was really good. Uh, especially, uh, as mentioned before, with uh, Yuri's backstory. I thought she was really good there where she was, like, trying to comfort Yuri and, like, tell her that, oh, no, like, it doesn't matter what your father says, you are beautiful. I find it funny that uh, you're, yeah, you're mentioning that um, the performance in this Momika isn't quite as over the top as maybe you were expecting. Keeping in mind that if it was Brittany Karbowski who was the voice in the original, well, that that's already an 11 out of 10. You can't really go higher uh, as far as like recognizably over the top performances that are still in character than Brittany. But Olivia had the task, I'm pretty sure, of being directed to be more grounded, uh, less over-the-top in this performance. And that is fitting for the way that Momika gets her dramatic roles. And she doesn't have, like, funny moments in the show. Like, nothing about Momika's backstory is funny at all. So, yeah, I, I think it's good that Olivia's performance was more grounded and uh, not as over-the-top as maybe you were expecting. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was expecting it to be over the top of the whole thing, but I guess, you know, whatever team. I guess, I mean, I guess they need to, like, put on the whole, like, Penguin Girl act. I thought, I thought, I thought those parts, those parts could have maybe been a little more exaggerated. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. The, um, the librarian penguin, uh, persona that we see at the beginning of the first movie and near the end of the last movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, maybe you're right. Maybe that 
could have uh, lent itself to being a bit more um, uh, a bit more campy, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That probably is like maybe the that probably is, that's not it's really the only mark I have against Evil Forward, so I liked it otherwise. Yeah, um, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because it took me a while to realize that that uh, that Penguin Girl and Momika were supposed to be the same character. Because um, I, w- I guess I wasn't looking very closely at the character designs. So. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I realized it right away. Uh, I guess because I had seen the movie. I mean, I had rewatched the TV series like maybe a couple years ago, and also I like, and also like, I didn't remember that Momika was also in possession of a big penguin hat. So. So, so when I saw the design, I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I do more Boba in this movie." Yeah, yeah, that I that had I'd forgotten that part of the TV show. Um, yeah, it's a, a very interesting choices for the direction on, yeah, having all the characters, even in their uh, supernatural uh, performances, be uh, still more grounded and, yeah, just more believably human, I guess. Uh, a thing that we cannot say though. Of uh, Sanatoshi, who is the fayest of camp characters of this whole cast. Uh, yeah, uh, we don't get a whole lot of uh, we don't get a whole lot of Sanatoshi in the movies. I guess he was, I guess he was a character who probably needed to be cut the most to, I guess, uh, condense this into two films. So, uh, so, uh, so we don't get quite as much as like uh, his philosophical ramblings about like the nature of family and how constrictive that could be. But uh, otherwise, I think his presence really works as a whole. Again, as a whole, like goes to the past that you can't escape kind of deal. Yeah, he's a good mouthpiece for what are the things that, but what are specifically the negative traits of society that Ikuhara is trying to uh, disseminate in this series, and in a show that uh, can sometimes be more symbolic over literal, it's good to have at least one m- intentionally evil character kind of write out the thesis of the show for those who are having a hard time following along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of, um, in the uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena movie, how they had um, uh, the bad character of... Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Akio. Akio, thank you. They had him in the movie because he was in the TV series, and so we have to have him in the movie. But honestly, you didn't really need him in the movie because the the story was already kind of functioning as is, and he isn't quite the same character in the movie as he is in the TV show. Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah. The TV show, yeah, the TV show, he's kind of like a very, he's kind of like a very clear archetype for the concept of patriarchy, and in the movies, he's definitely not that. So, uh, yeah, I kind of don't know what they were going for in the movies with him. Well, I mean, they wanted to see him, uh, like, uh, fall out a window, obviously. That's the whole reason to have him in the movie. <laughs> that That's a whole other discussion I'm sure we can have. Maybe we could do that for next summer at the movies, the Utena movie. Because I'm not sure if patriarchy is exactly what he's going for. I think it was more uh, the, the negative portrayal of trying to grow up too fast and the negative repercussions of what happens to uh, teenagers when they try to... Yeah, just grow up faster than they really should. Mm, uh, uh, that's fair. But, but anyway, uh, Satoshi, uh, Sanatoshi, though, not so subtle. Uh, very much, uh, like you were saying, a symbolism of uh, negative uh, familial experiences um, and the, the bad cycle that can happen of if you're born into um, not even a toxic family, but just a... 
uh, a not very healthy family. Like, I don't know, maybe they're gangsters. Maybe they're terrorists. Maybe they do some shady things to earn money. Uh, and then seeing your own kids are probably going to inherit that and end up doing that themselves. And why it's necessary to break that cyclical events to uh, basically be better people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, while we don't get a whole lot of this movie, I did say I did enjoy Nikki Sanders' performance. I, 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 I thought he had the right amount of like ominousness to the performance that was necessary. Where, uh, where he does have a pretty good amount of presence whenever Tony uh, Grayson's on screen. He does sound like he's having fun. Yeah. Like he got to he got to cut loose the most out of all of the the performers. He doesn't quite go uh, like full. Uh, Jesse, or I'm sorry, James from Pokemon with the like, ooh, I'm so evil. You will never be able to bring your sister back to life. It's dead time for you. No, he's not quite that over the top, but it's it's fitting with the tone of the series, but still being evil. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I don't really have any thoughts on uh, uh, um, Kokui's, uh baby penguin because it's mostly uh, onomatopoeia and small word fragments, isn't it? I mean, the penguin does speak, but it is very clearly, like... It's very clearly Tadatushi speaking to the penguin, but I do think Kokui does a pretty good job of sounding, like, very sinister. Specifically, like, trying to convince him, like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, man, this is the world messed up. You guys should just destroy everything. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. And seeing all of it while having an extremely adorable smile on his face. That's, I'm sorry, you're right. I, I completely forgot that, yeah, this is the character that is smiling all the time and is uh, kind of higher-pitched uh, cartoony voice talking about, this world was always rotten. We should just destroy everything, which is a very nihilistic view of the world, which I'm not sure Ikuhara doesn't believe. I think he was actually kind of advocating for a little bit of that. Uh, as a, yeah, yeah, I do think, yeah, it, yeah, I do believe he does at least think that, uh, and Sonatoshi is at least very clearly supposed to sort of have a point, like, as a, uh, like the point in which he does talk about, like, the toxicness of families, or, as referenced in, or as we see reference in this movie, the concept of everyone kind of being stuck in their own boxes and, uh, not really being able to deal with the world. Like, Sonatoshi does have a point when he talks about those things. Yes, that's true. And it does tie back into, like you were saying, the 1995 terrorist attack, where it wasn't just people um, uh, being like, I've got explosions, and I think it would be fun to set thing to explode things. It was, uh, it was kind of that doomsday cult mentality of perpetuating the end of the world because they've seen how flawed and broken a lot of the system is. So the solution is not to try to fix it, but to merely... Uh, ca cause mass destruction themselves. Yep. Which, I, I've heard people. I've heard people try to make the argument that that is part of what Penguin Drums actually trying to argue is going to be the solution if people do not improve themselves or we do not improve society uh, organically. Like uh, one of the things that's brought up is the way that the children are not really taken care of very well. Um, Japan is notorious for not having a very good uh, child welfare system. Um, that's why you see a lot of kids in anime are, like, living by themselves while their parents work all the time. Yep, and uh, we have a whole metaphor for that in this movie. 
<laughs> I, the foreshadowing for the next section. But um, yeah, I guess the the point of the of this movie is that people took that interpretation from the TV show away that they thought, huh, maybe Ikuhara is trying to argue that we should smash in order to change things. And that so we have this penguin character, this baby penguin character, who is clearly supposed to be antagonistic and not who we're supposed to cheer for, making those arguments so that we as the audience can know, oh, okay, so the, the staff is aware that that extreme of a measure to fix the world's problems is not what they're advocating for and that we should actually do the uh, found family thing instead, not the blow stuff up thing. Oh uh, 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 yeah, like uh, uh, yeah, the world is yeah, the world is very messed up, but there are good things in it. Specifically, good people you can find with it, which I think is kind of the. But I think it's kind of like the message you can always try to go for with uh, with I guess the extended scenes in this movie, because because uh, there are a few extra scenes that weren't in the TV series that kind of got added into this. I mean, I'll, I'm trying to be very nice to the performers here, and I have uh, mostly good things to say, but I do question, like, what was the point of this movie of, like, really just recutting the the episodes into a TV show, aside from, which we'll talk about near the end, some of the changes they made to the finale, because other than that, I didn't really see a whole lot of point, and I'm not, a, I'm actually kind of against people who just take episodes from a TV show and cut them into a movie and say, voila, new movie, give me money. Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess Ikahara just kind of felt like visiting it. It is worth, it is, uh, it is worth noting that uh, originally this was going to be a completely straight compilation movie, but uh, Ikahara did want to add new scenes, so uh, he specifically went to Kickstarter to get those scenes funded, and uh, you want to know how quickly that Kickstarter got funded? Well, let's see. Considering that we're still in the middle of the lackadaisy Kickstarter getting a million dollars in a week, I'm going to assume that something like Ikuhara asking for money for animation, that got funded in half a week. It got it got funded like a couple of hours. Oh, okay. well, that actually is more fitting. I mean, I'm assuming that... I, do you know what, off the top of your head what the amount uh, that they were asking for was? I don't, remember, I don't remember what the exact amount was, but it got funded like almost immediately. And uh, as it... Which was kind of, which was a little surprising, both because, both for how quick it was, and also because they very specifically said they couldn't take, they wouldn't accept any international money. So it all came from the Japanese audience, and it so got funded like immediately. Oh really? Oh, that's why I never heard about it then, because couldn't take international money. Yep, I would have paid I for mean, it, but uh, I guess I guess it wouldn't accept my money. That's interesting too, because I I never got a sense of how popular Ikuhara actually is in Japan. I know that in America, he's a very niche uh, creator, and that the people who like his stuff really like his stuff, but it's not the kind of thing that a lot of people have even heard of. Like, people have maybe seen Utena imagery, and they know, like, uh, she turns into a car, but they haven't actually seen, like, uh, Yurikuma Arashi or Penguin Drum, or I don't remember how popular Sarizanmai was in the simulcast season. But anyways, that reaffirms that, okay, there is enough of a support in Japan that is into what Ikuhara is doing, which I guess would explain why he has been allowed to create like five different series so far. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know how well Utena did, but I do remember Penguin Drum specifically actually did sell pretty respectably okay. in the day, so uh, yeah, I guess it does make sense. So we should probably then, uh, I'm sorry, are we uh, good to move on to uh, from this cast to the next group? Yep, yeah, uh, I guess we're good to move on. So we're going to talk about 
our main characters, of which we have four. We Yay! have we have Shoba Takakura, Kanba Takakura, Hibari Takakura, and Rigo Ovidobe. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, so Shoba is one of the elder brothers of the Takakura family. And so, uh, he's kind of the very nice and sweet. He's kind of the, the very nice and sweet boy who just uh, so, uh, who just wants to do very. He just wants to do right by his family, and is just a very nice boy. Uh, but uh, as we discover later on, he does have a little bit more going on than what uh, appears on the surface. Because as we discover during the second movie, the Takakuras are in fact not a real family. And uh, of these three, he's actually the only one who is specifically related to their parents. Which uh, definitely explains why he's the one who feels the most guilt over the terrorist incident that they caused. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't himself do anything wrong, but that guilt stays with him, and for, for a fair enough reason. Um, I, I'm sure none of us here would be living very well if we uh, had to live with the the knowledge that our parents kind of maybe did a terrorism back in the day. Yeah, and uh, continuing, uh, uh, continuing, Kanba is, uh, Kanba is the other brother of the Takagor family. Uh, compared to Shoma, he's kind of a little, he's kind of a lot more rough around the edges, more of a ladies' man. And, uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, as, and, uh, as briefly mentioned, he is not actually from the Takagora family. So, uh, he was uh, he was actually adopted from the Natsumes and brought into the Takagora family after his father died. So, Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Kanaba's fam uh, dad was also in the terrorist cult too, is that correct? Uh, yeah, his dad was also in the terrorist cult. Okay, that's what I thought. Because yeah, there's a the funeral scene of Kanaba's biological parents. Uh, the ta the Takakura adults are like, and now you two are going to be siblings. And you get the sense that they had already known each other from their mutual interests. Those mutual interests being anarchy and terrorism. So I just want to make sure I wasn't misinterpreting where his uh, parents came from originally. Yep. So, uh, yep. So uh, yeah. As continued, Kappa is uh, around, is a lot more rough around the edges, uh, willing to do whatever it takes to protect Ibari, and uh, as we discover uh, as the story progresses, uh, those feelings are not entirely platonic, uh, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, then we have, and then we have Ibari, who is the little sister of the Dakakura family. Uh, she's uh, she suffers from terrible anime girl disease. It's it's very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> she's right up there with um, with all of the key Kyoto Annie uh, girls, with all the June Maeda characters. Uh, yeah, she she gonna die, and uh, that's gonna drive the plot. Yep, and uh, she does in fact die at the very beginning of the story. But yes, and then she she's does. and then she's brought back to life by a magic penguin hat, which. Which occasionally possesses her and causes her to take on a different personality. It makes her not lactose intolerant anymore. Yep. And, and then, uh, as we discover later on, she is in fact she was in fact adopted into the Takakuras. Uh, be, uh, because uh, she was originally abandoned by her mother for reasons uh, that aren't really explained and don't really need to be. She was just abandoned. And, uh, yep, yep. and eventually, uh, Shoma met her and befriended her, and uh, eventually decided to bring her into the family after a uh, couple of uh, very unfortunate events. So, and then lastly, Ringo, so, and then lastly, Ringo, as mentioned before, is the younger sister of Momoka, 
Very curiously, she was actually born on the same day Robica died. So she has convinced herself that she is, in fact, Robica's reincarnation. And that actually kind of draws a lot of... Actually kind of uh, implants a lot of Ringo's motivations in the first uh, film. Uh, because in the first film, she is introduced as Tabuki Stalker. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, uh, she, she's hiding out under his floorboards uh listening like spying listening to him and uh she's got that that um unfortunate uh syndrome where you're a young girl who you know a, a slightly older friend of the family character is like a couple grades older than you you develop a crush on them and you can't quite let that go but it's also a bit unfortunate that uh she feels the need not just to be like her sister but to actually take her place because her parents are very upset that they lost a daughter in an explosion and are basically uh, she's trying to compensate for a dead sibling basically which is not a healthy thing to do yeah very much not so and a lot of her behavior in the first half of the show is not very healthy thankfully she does get better but it does take a while also i'm pretty sure that if you were born on the day someone else died that's not how reincarnation works, because you were already in development while they were still alive. Yeah. Just just throwing that out there. But uh, anyway, getting uh, <laughs> into who plays these characters. Uh, for Shoba, we have Jack Sandsbury. For Kanba, we have Jeremy Gee. For Himura, we have Donna Bella Litton. And for Rigo, we have Margaret McDonald. Uh, Jack Sandsbury is a bit of a fresher face at that time, but he's been making a real, uh, he's making he's been making real splash this past year, and has played such characters as the Duck Collector in Akuma Maid War, Shutaro Mendo in the Irose Yatsura remake, and uh, biggest thing, Aquamarine Hoshino in the Dub for Hoshino Ko. And then uh, I so, heard the things about it. Uh, so, oh yeah, he's uh, re he's really fantastic in that dub. No, I mean, I've heard the show itself was good, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very good show. I think you would find it interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm too busy watching um, uh, uh, American cartoons these days. Sorry. I just watched uh, all of Haley's on it, which is a new Disney Plus series. So I need to get back more into anime watching these days. <laughs> uh, uh, continuing, uh, Jeremy Gee has played his characters as uh, Keiji Akashi in Haiku, Kaiji in the... Uh, New Dub for Kaiji, and Goro Abamiya in Ochinoko. And then uh, Donabelle Witten has voice as characters as Lettuce Moon in Fabric Life in Another World, Rod in the Erosayasura remake, and I Ochino in Ochinoko. Uh, the reason I brought up Ochinoko three times is because these. <laughs> it's uh, because there actually is a, it's because there actually is a connection between these, those three characters. And, uh, and if that came, and if that was the partial inspiration for casting those actors in this movie, uh, that's a pretty funny joke. Okay, <laughs> it could have been. Um, I, I haven't seen that show to compare it, but it's not um, unlike voice directors to do a little bit of stunt casting. Uh, as a, uh, as a, uh, to make a long story short, uh, Oshinoko is kind of centered around a reincarnation plot about like. As a, about a doctor being reincarnated as the child of their favorite idol, and uh, both and uh, the doctor is played by Jeremy Gee, and then uh, the reincarnated kid is actually played by Jack Sandsbury. So, uh, and the idol was uh, Donna Bella Witten, so that's a really good connection. 
So yeah, the 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 ages are off there in this comparison because in this show they're all around the same age, whereas that one there's a little bit of generational gaps going on. Uh, yeah, but still, just a very funny connection again, uh, given uh, everything going on with Kaba. And it gives me even more incentive to check out that show. Yep. So thank you for that pitch. Yep. And then lastly, Margaret McDonald replaces characters as Kada in Afterloss, Hadi in Habitora, and a bit of a throwback, Rika Takadashi in Love, Chidibio, and other I'm so glad you mentioned that one, because that's where I first heard her was... Uh, that was that was a well timed dub in that that came out I think a little after Penguin Drum in the in that we're starting to get a little better and more ambitious with our dubbing over at Sentai. Mm. Uh, actually, let, actually uh, let me check the release on that one because I, I think it was post 2011, but let me check. Oh yeah, 2012. Okay, so yeah, yeah that would be right after. Anyways, proceed. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I guess we can start with Ringo because we probably can talk about the Takagurus and these together. But uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, Rico was a very uh, interesting character. In fact, she, in fact, she's probably my favorite character in the show, which is uh, for pretty wild because uh, this character does a lot that is extremely problematic, and I feel like in most other instances, this character would probably be pretty redeemable. Because uh, as mentioned before, uh, she does a lot of stalking in the first half, and uh, a lot of that. So, and that stalking ultimately culminates in a bit where she actually does a tough to assault Tabuki, which is, uh, mm -hmm. which, uh, even considering how silly a lot of this show can be at times, that instance is actually treated, uh, really dramatically, which I do appreciate, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And yet somehow, uh, that can, and yet somehow she does manage to surprisingly get redeemed after that, and, uh, it helps that um, it helps that even though a lot of her actions are pretty messed up, there is there is a there is a lot of her actions that you can at least somewhat sympathize with. In that, as mentioned before, a lot of her motivation is in the fact that she's trying to compensate for her dead sibling by thinking she has to be that dead sibling, and a lot of the, and a lot of her actions are motivated by that. So I have a so again I re, I really like Regal a lot as a character. Which is why I really hate to say that this was probably my least favorite performance in the dub. Oh, he had such a good thing going there, and then all of a sudden, yeah, and it's kind of a shame because it's really kind of a shame because as much shade as I have and will continue to draw at the dub for the TV series, I do remember that Emily Nades was really good in that dub. Ironically, she was actually the best performance in that dub. So. uh really is kind of a shame we sort of got the reverse here. And, uh, I mean, there are things I do like about Margaret's performance. I think she does do a really... I think, I think funny enough, she actually is really good at the whole, like, soccer side of Ringo, whenever she needs to, like, be really menacing or scheming, I think. Margaret's, like, surprisingly fun mm -hmm. in those bits. Uh, the thing I had a bit of a harder time by but Margaret's performance was... Uh, was a, uh, was a lot of the stuff with uh, everything surrounding her sister, or how her relationship with Shoma kind of develops over the course of the story. Like, uh, like, like basically, whenever she kind of needs to be, I guess, like really dramatic or like sad about something, I thought the performance was like a lot shakier than I would have expected, and it was kind of a bit of a letdown. I'm gonna chalk that up to a direction thing because. The Margaret's performance in the funnier scenes 
are definitely leaps and bounds above the dramatic scenes, but that's kind of fitting with the tone of the show favoring funny scenes for this character. Uh, there's a scene where she gets really, really mad at Shoma because Yuri says, I thought you had a crush on Shoma. And it's basically that mentality is uh, throwing Ringo for a loop because she was so convinced that she was in love with Tabuki. And so she like like starts bitch slapping Shoma and is really leaning into how he's thrown off her entire plan because it was destined for them to be together. And that was funnier. Like that I believe that yeah. Margaret's performance in that section more yeah. than I did, like you were saying, the dramatic parts. Yeah. That, those uh, were yeah, harder to yeah, it's funny you bring that up because like I thought she I thought she was fine like when like at the sort of that bait when she was like slapping Shoma around without being like how dare like how dare you do this in a really exaggerated way. But then, like when, but then when that whole moment gets serious, and she's like, "Like, why did you have to tell me I'm me?" And was and that was a moment in the show that I thought was really powerful, and I thought my performance didn't quite have the weight that moment needed to, and it was a bit of a letdown because I felt like thematically that probably is one of the most important bits in the in the series, and I really kind of wish I was delivered a little better. Well, were there any scenes, not just from Margaret, but from anyone in the show? that made you teary-eyed at all? Like, even a little weepy? Uh, probably, uh, probably, uh, in the second movie, I would say, like, the whole bit with, like, yeah, I would say the whole bit with Yuri and Momoka, where, like, Momoka is trying to, uh, stop Yuri from, uh, getting killed by her father, I thought, uh, so I, I thought that whole bit was handled really well, and actually did go a little teary-eyed there. Uh, when okay. Momoka was comforting her. And that kind of works because uh, neither Yuri or Momoko have funny moments. They, they never have slap, uh, slapstick moments that the actors have to also fit into. So, uh, yeah, I think that Margaret's uh, less serious moments, or I'm sorry, the, the way that it doesn't feel as, uh, it doesn't hit as much with you, and I kind of had the same thought too, is solely because the direction it was favored her comedic moments, and it's just harder for us to take the serious moment seriously after we've seen her do wacky things with frogs and poisons and curry swapping and all those shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, I will say I do think Margaret did improve a lot in like the back half of the second movie. Uh, simply uh, when she was kind of setting everything up for like the big sacrifice towards the end. I did think I did think in those I did think in those moments she was actually probably stronger than the Madame Chops. I just kind of wish that was there during the earlier parts of these movies. Now, if I remember correctly, all of the characters that we've kind of talked about are a victim of some sort of childhood trauma that is making them uh, repeat mistakes of their the previous generation, either their parents or just something they've been born into. Uh, Ringo's actions of, like, trying to be her sister and trying to fulfill what is written in her sister's diary, which she thinks of as, like, prophecy, that's not really the result of uh, repeating the cycles of a uh, toxic family, necessarily. It's it's much more about the... It, it's more wacky, silly, and also finding found family than it is about uh, disputing toxic cyclical events, right? As, uh, I mean, Ringo's stuff is a bit silly, but there is, but there is something, I mean, but I do feel there is a lot thematic important there, which is kind of why she's, which is why, at least, honestly, I would say for, like, the first half of the series, he's kind of more the protagonist than 
are the siblings are in some sense. And which oh, is yeah, uh, which is and which does make sense because um, because this series is simply a lot about identity and kind of like how your family doesn't define you and you kinda of have to be your own person and uh, that's a pretty important thing with Ringo because of the reforms he's literally trying to be her sister because she kind of has convinced herself that's the only way her parents can get back together even though uh, she can't really bring herself to realize it's never really going to happen. She kind of can't get back what she's lost and can't really bring herself to come to terms with that. And the uh, one of her arc is kind of about dealing with that and realizing she is in fact her own person through a lot of her interactions with Kakakoras and Choma specifically. Good point, good point. The, the idea of being your own learning to be your own person and not be uh, stuck in the shadow of being someone else, or being a sibling, rather. You're right, that's a good uh, thing that makes her actions not necessarily redeemable, but understandable. Yeah. I do think that, from a writing perspective, that um, the lines that she was given, like in the English script here, um, are the, the, most, um, the, the most wacky, the most cartoonish of them. And it makes her performance distinct from the rest because the three that we're going to get to here, the uh, the Takakura siblings, um, speaking wise, they're all kind of similar. I feel like so uh, yeah, Ringo's definitely a, a unique standout, and fittingly enough, uh, the protagonist of the first movie. Yep. And then uh, getting into the Takakura siblings, um, let's see. I who should we talk about first? Let's start with um, uh, Hima, uh, Himari because uh, her she has to split. Uh, Donna has to split her performance between two voices. She has to be the domestic good little sister character, and then she has to be the possessed uh, penguin character throughout the show. Yeah, uh, this, yeah. This is like the third thing I've heard Donna in. I think she's also so not doo doo, but uh, not doo doo, but she has been. As a, uh, but I, uh, but she has kind of been getting more stuff over like the last uh, year or so. So this is like the third thing I've heard her in, and then the other couple of things I heard of her, I heard her in, I kind of had mixed feelings on her performances. Uh, like I like, uh, like they liked her Rod in Erisayatsuro, but I thought she was better at the. I thought she was better at like the really loud and angry side of the character than she was about the whole cutie booty thing. And funny enough, yeah. I kind of have a funny enough, I kind of have a similar feeling. Uh, with her performance here, where I actually, yeah. th- where I actually, where I actually like her a lot, whenever she's like the penguin hat version of the character, more yeah. than the normal version of the character. Well, the, this movie doesn't give her a whole lot of moments uh, being as cutesy, um, because in the TV show we see a lot more of her in her uh, human form, where she is um, like trying to cook for the family, trying to keep them all together, just trying to create domestic bliss out of a very rotten situation, um, which was heavily contrasted with the, uh, I'd say like every other episode where we got to see the penguin persona, because that penguin character uh, is like foul mouth and dissing the characters, like the complete opposite personality. Uh, and I agree that Donna excels more in that penguin character in this movie than the cutesier moments, but that's also because the movie gives her more penguin scenes than the cutesier scenes, I, I feel like. Like she spends an equal amount of time in a coma or as a penguin not so like there's one scene in the the cutesier moments where she's either cooking curry or making cabbage rolls 
and they're just not as frequent in this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, he already does so. I mean, he already does so get a lot of important stuff, particularly in the second movie where we get uh, her backstory and like how she was abandoned by her parents and kind of found a sort of found found family in Chilma. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, like, and, so, and I remember that being a part of TV series I found, uh, really, I found really interesting and, like, really important thematically as far as the whole themes around family and sort of, like, you know, and, so, and sort of things like being able to find people who care about you and being your own person, I thought, so, I thought I thought a lot of Pimari stuff also encapsulated that really well. And, so, and yeah. what I thought Donna's performance here was, like, fine, there were definitely... And there are definitely some parts of her delivery I thought could have been a little stronger. And I guess if I were being honest, I am probably... I guess my mind is probably doing a little bit more of a comparison to uh, the TV anime. Because uh, in the TV anime, Himari was voiced by Monica Rio. And while again, I have a lot of problems with the TV dub, uh, Monica was one of the better performances in that dub. And I mean, it's, it's Monica Rio. <laughs> you got stalking, literally, voicing the character, so... Uh, I'm gonna try not to make that comparison, because I don't remember to... Uh, like, I remember Monica voicing that character. I don't r- remember how I could directly compare it to this, because Donna's going for, uh, I feel like, a more subdued, more... Uh, in the tone of all the other characters we've been talking about, a more laid-back portrayal of the character. So that Monica voice wouldn't quite fit in the tone that they're going for in this cast. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, I mean that's fair. I just do remember Monica's performance being a little more, so, uh, being a little more balanced with both versions. Whereas, so, uh, whereas with Donna, I think the Penguin, ha- I think the Penguin hat part of performance is definitely where it's at its strongest. Where everything else is like, it's uh, everything else. It's like it's fine, but there are definitely parts of it I feel could be, as so, uh, I feel could definitely be a little bit stronger with the dramatic shots, which. I yeah. do, which I do feel is a little, but I do feel is a little unfortunate because I do feel like a lot of Imari's more dramatic moments are pretty important to the themes of the story. So, the, I do yeah, they are yeah. yeah, when we find out uh, why they're um, not just the backstory with her being uh, adopted into this family, but also the backstory with two H or H uh, two is uh, really important to her as well. Like she was part of this uh, trio of young girls who were, like, auditioning to be idols, basically. And she didn't get to be part of the group because uh, she unfortunately caused her mom to end up in the hospital and she felt so guilty about it that she, you know, kind of took herself out of it. And the dramatic parts of that, especially that scene where uh, Donna has to portray, like, a kind of a younger Himari who's upset that she didn't get the ribbons that she wanted, that was definitely the flatter performance where we really needed... A, a stronger emotional residence, a, a more bratty sounding character, and it wasn't quite there in the in this movie. Yeah, I do wish that part was stronger. Yeah, so, um, just it, yeah, just kind of a part that um, I, I guess I should go back and rewatch that part in the TV series because there's just some things that uh, that the choices they made in this dub that were on the more subdued side, and that seems to be a, a conscious choice that the ADR director made. Mm-hmm. And then... And I, I uh, yeah, feel that same way about uh, our two brothers coming up here. Um, not very, um, like, over-the-top voices, um, but carries the dramatic moments pretty well. Um, I think 
Jack uh, is pretty strong in those scenes where he's grasping with the guilt over what his family did and having to live with that himself. Yeah, yeah, I would say between the two, Jack is probably stronger. And I'd actually go as far to say I think overall Jack is probably the best performance of the night for me. You might be right. Um, I think the scene that maybe would be a good contender to illustrate that is um, when he's apologizing to Ringo near the end of the second movie. Um, and even though Ringo is insistent that, you know, you didn't kill my sister, he, Shoma is absolutely heartbroken over feeling responsible that it was his parents who caused the explosion on the train that caused her to lose her, that caused Ringo to lose her sister. And that's a good performance by Jack. Yeah, 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 I really liked his deliberator in that scene. Definitely the right amount of, like, it's really being torn up by guilt, and, and, I, and I really appreciated how he handled that. And then I also thought he was, like, really good during that, uh, during the scene towards the middle of the movie where he's confronting Kanba over Kanba, having uh, teamed up with the terror, having teamed up with the terror group their parents were in, and I definitely liked the frustration he's feeling over Kanba, like, kind of simply turning their back his back on everything just for Himari's sake and I thought that Jack didn't really good job in that scene and I also I also looked at Jeremy handled that scene too. I thought he was really good at that moment. Jeremy doesn't get as much of a range, uh isn't allowed as much of a range as Jack does, just by the nature of his character. <laughs> but his his uh his like um his player persona um, it never becomes unbearable. Like, you, you see this character, you see this kind of a character, um, and the things he does, and yes, you kind of want to punch him in the face for it, but you see it's all because his uncle keeps saying, we need money to keep the house, we need money for medicine for your sister, we, we need money, we need money, and he's just doing what he, the only thing he can do to keep the family together. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, it definitely is very interesting that while Shoma is like the one who was clearly, who was clearly more guilt-ridden over the past, it's very interesting that Shoma. I mean, it's very interesting that Kanba is the one who, as mentioned by Sanatori, as mentioned by Sanatori, is the one who is like very specifically cursed by the past and kind of, in essence, carrying on the will of their parents, even if mm -hmm. he may not necessarily want to. I mean, they both kind of represent the two halves of how to deal with trauma. Um, one of them is, uh, there's technically three. One of them is to accept it and, um, kind of lean into it, which is what he seems, what, uh, Kanaba seems to be doing. The whole, uh, you know, I can't change the past, so I'm just going to, uh, lean into it more because, well, I've already come this far, might as well keep going. I'll turn, uh, my face, I'll turn backwards to God and walk ass backwards into hell, basically. Yeah. Whereas with Shoma's... Uh, gone for the um, the freeze mentality of just completely unable to process the guilt, and that's not healthy at all. They're, neither of them have taken the healthy option, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I will say, yeah, I will say. While I did, while I did come around a lot of Jeremy's performance, I did think, I, I did think he maybe needed a little bit to get the character, which I did feel was a little unfortunate because I don't. Have you seen any of the Kaiju dub yet? No, I have not. Um, I was, hey, oh, you should. He's up. Uh, as much before he does play Kaiju, that is actually really good in that show. And that's a that's a character that uh, is not really so um, uh, serious all the time, right? Like he gets exasperated by the the 
yeah. betting situation he's in, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he gets exasperated. He gets exasperated a lot, but he def- uh, but he also can be. It also could be really dramatic when the time calls for it, and uh, definitely, it definitely has a lot of moments where he has to show a lot of anger towards the system. And we do see, like, and we do see that in Jeremy's performance uh, in the back half of the second movie, uh, particularly by, by the time he's joined the terror group. I think that Jeremy's performance really shines there. But uh, in, the, as I, uh, in the in the early parts of the film, I think, uh, as I think the direction with his performance isn't quite as clear. And so, so I had a little hard, bit of a harder time telling exactly what he was going for. Uh, so, uh, but what, uh, but what he was going for on terrorists, I really liked uh, Reed's performance there. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Just the line. I liked him when he was going full on terrorist. Uh, um, that is unfortunate. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, maybe the one critique I might have on uh, Jeremy's Kanba is that he does sound a bit older than I thought the character should sound necessarily. Um, I'm not sure if he had a similar reaction, but it just, it took me a little while to get to, uh, the pitch that he was going for. It's just because I know that they're high school students basically. So I have this, you know, internal voice that I expect them to reach. And it was a little bit lower than that pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I will say it is kind of similar to the voice he uses for Kaiji. It is a little softer though. So I guess he did try to tone it back a little bit to sound more like a teenager, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I do agree. It does maybe sound a little older than the character does. To give a compliment right back after that, though, it also was not monotone. Uh, It's very easy to take a character like Kanba, who uh, has a very um, utilitarian view of the world, just a very, I'm going to make money the only way I can, and if it involves doing some crime, I'm going to do that. And it's not a very flat performance at all. There's color in there. There is exasperation when, like, the girls find him and confront him on his uh, heartbreaking ways and then getting more uh, extreme when he's uh, talking to like his uncle about how, what, how much is it going to take? How much is it going to take to keep the house? All right, I will do the thing that I need to do. I'm not going to tell the audience what that is, but you can probably guess. Although I have to, I know you said that he joins the terrorist group near the end, which yeah, he's clearly rejoining the group that his family is a part of. But I gotta admit, in watching the TV series, I thought he was, like, drug dealing or doing some other stuff that would really earn him some money fast. And it's not quite clear what he's doing in this movie to earn money, or maybe it's clear to you. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, so, I mean, it isn't really explained. I mean, even in the TV series, it isn't really explained what he's doing in the general group. All we know is that they're giving him money. And then, so, and then we, like, and then I guess, like, once... And then I guess once we get the full reveal, he's just fully decides to join in with the group, and then he's just going around doing grunt. I, I guess. I mean, it, it could be anything from, like, uh, he'd be doing the mob thing of, like, protection money or something. Where Leave it up to your interpretation. Whatever it's, crime you think Kanba's doing, that's what he's doing. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah I do. Yeah, yeah. so it's a bit of a direction with, like, both the TV series and the film that I do appreciate it. Is that, is that, is that, is that, is that when we do get that whole revelation with Kanba... At first, you are meant to think that Kaba has gotten back has gotten back in touch with his parents, and that they're the ones. So, and, then, and that if they're not necessarily the ones directing his actions, they are at least like helping. They're at least helping about his boarding what he's doing. And then we find it that like, nope, nope, Kaba is actually quite literally talking to ghosts. His parents are both long dead. Mm-hmm. Yep, they, they ain't running a soma shop anymore, which I think was their cover in the TV show. If I remember correctly, 
I don't know, it's been a while. There's an app. No, 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 even in a TV show, you were meant to... Even in the TV show with the soba shop, we were meant to go, oh, okay, that's, like, the meeting place, that's where their parents are. And then, like, when the characters... When characters who aren't combat go in there, it's like, oh, no, it's abandoned, like... So I guess... So I guess it's kind of supposed to be, I guess, combat delusion, in a sense. Because, as mentioned before, he is quite... Oh, yeah. Because, as mentioned before, he is, like, very... Quite literally being haunted by the past, so... It makes sense mm-hmm. that he's the one seeing their dead parents. Yep. Yeah, this mo- this movie is very uh, in tone of the whole, in the spirit of, do not follow the family business if the family business is crime or just bad for society or people in general, uh, because it's not good. It, it, no, don't do that. Yeah, very much do not do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Um, yeah, so the, these uh, it's a range of performances that carry uh, the more over-the-top scenes. Probably could have done a little bit better on the uh, dramatic scenes. I guess uh, with the amount of dialogue that they had, there was probably a level of, like, fatigue, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That is just kind of hard to get over. Yes, yeah, yeah. As was before, I do think Jack's performance was probably the most consistent overall. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone else, I did like generally like, but I do think, but I do think needed a little bit of time to kind of fully grasp their character, or like, or needed maybe a little bit, a bit of stronger direction in certain scenes. And then, as mentioned before, with Margaret, I did, I did, I did like her a lot with like the soccer side of Ringo, but I had a harder time <laughs> back into the dramatic stuff. It's unfortunate. It's like, I like the character when they were terrorists or stalkers. Yeah, yeah boy, it, it, really, it really is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, was there anything that, that's else? Ikuhara for you. Yep, uh, was there anything else you want to mention or you get to move on to final thoughts? I think we should start wrapping up the final thoughts on this because uh, people listening to this probably got the sense that, yeah, we liked the content good enough, but uh, we're uh, slightly underwhelmed by some of the performances. And I'd like to dispel uh, most of that because it is competent. This is a very competent film that if you are trying to decide between watching in the English or the Japanese, uh, the English is perfectly serviceable. Nothing is lost in translation. You And you may even need to listen in English because yeah. of all the dialogue. You don't have to follow along at the uh, all of the reading. But uh, yeah, I do think that the actual performances are a little below the level where we want to be it's like yeah this is a perfectly fine cake but it could have used like uh maybe a little extra frosting and maybe some strawberries on it just to make it that that punch that this content really needed yeah yeah i will say again between the two i would heavily recommend this over the dub of the tv series which really which okay which i know in a sense does kind of sound like bait phrase because i had made it very clear i don't really like that particular dub very much but I, but, I, but I do think this one is a notable improvement. It is it is a little rougher around the edges than I would have wanted it to be, but there are things about it I like. And it was the, and so since this is an upgrade, quality wise in dub from the original TV series, um, what does this mean that uh, you can recommend the movie over the TV show, or would you? still recommend the TV show oh. as opposed to the movie. Uh, for, or uh, newbies. Uh, for newbies, I would still definitely recommend the TV show. Uh, th- I mean, these movies are... 
I mean, these movies are fine, and they do get most of the themes across, but the first movie in particular, uh, yeah, the first movie in particular, it does kind of suffer a little bit from, like, the parts they cut around. Like, the first movie, you can definitely tell, is very much a compilation movie. The second one feels a lot more put together than the movie. Which, I suppose. Yeah, which, again, does make sense, because they want... Because even in the TV series, a lot of the first half of the show is just mostly set up for the second half. So in a sense, mm -hmm. that does make sense. But, like, as a whole, the TV series is a little bit more cohesive. Yeah, and it benefits from the structure of a TV show as well. You have the, the very clear set up morals or dilemmas of a TV episode. So that once the episode is over, it's kind of, you've gotten the point of the episode. Whereas in this movie, you have to keep track of multiple different threads and themes that they're going for and it's a lot to take in i'm not sure if i like i can't really imagine myself watching this in a theater i perfectly enjoyed watching this uh as like just on my couch and kind of taking breaks in between you know just pausing it at certain moments just to walk away for a bit and coming back to finishing up a little bit later again like you would with a tv show mm, uh, yeah but uh yeah i but, yeah i definitely enjoyed my time with these i I'm uh, definitely glad I finally got to check out these movies because I was waiting all last year to see who picked them up. So I'm glad they got picked up and glad they did end up getting it up. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nice to see a little bit more of this franchise after not seeing any acknowledgement of it for the last 10 years, right? Uh, yeah, uh, it, yeah. In general, no matter which version to go with, Penguin Drum is a really interesting series. It's a, uh, it's a lot of strong themes when it comes to the ideas of Fun family, trouble in family relationships, uh, a little bit of philosophical waxing over terrorism, and most importantly, the importance of the importance of finding yourself and being your own person. It's it's still going a lot of interesting things, but I think all of them are really fascinating again, and they come together in a pretty and they come together in a pretty neat way that I appreciate. Yes, it comes together with cute penguins doing wacky stuff in the background. Mm -hmm. I do love the penguins. <laughs> Yeah, so. And so that, that is the Penguin Drum movies. And by extension, kind of talking about the TV show as well. Oh, uh, yeah, this was a, uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got to do this. So where can they watch uh, the movies? Um, I'm assuming that the dub for the movies is uh, streaming somewhere? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, the dub for the movies is currently streaming on, set, on High Dive. Unfortunately... As of this recording, it is only the sub version of the movies that are streaming on High Dive. I imagine oh, it, what? Yeah, I imagine the dub will probably get added eventually, but uh, not quite sure yet when that will be. Mm -hmm. So if you so, is... yeah, so if you do want to watch the dub, you're gonna have to play the other movie, right? Yeah. So, um, oh, and uh, the the TV series is also up on High Dive right now too, right? Both in sub and dub. Yeah, yeah, the TV series is up, sub and dub on High Dive. Uh, if uh, if you want to buy the TV series Blu-ray, probably <laughs> uh, you're probably out of luck because that is long out of print. Yeah, and what might not be a bad thing because if I remember uh, discussions you and I had uh, a while ago, the Blu-ray wasn't even really that good, was it? Yeah, the quality of the Blu-rays was uh, quite bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's not good when uh, your Blu-ray is like DVD quality uh, footage, which I have the DVD version, totally fine as it is. But yeah, you would expect a slightly better upgrade to high def when they go to Blu-ray, and I guess 
They didn't quite get that for the Penguin Drum TV show. Yeah, it's also really weird because, like, because I mean, like, Sentai's uh, pre releasing a lot of other shows for that time period, and uh, even stuff that was a little rough around the edges, they actually re released with, like, slightly improved video quality. So you would expect that would have happened with Penguin Drum at some point, and it just it never did. Nope. This is no. literally the only new release we've gotten for Penguin Drum from Sentai since the TV series. So, uh, yeah. yeah. It's weird. So. It is. Although I, I'm I'm wondering if they were kind of um, testing the waters on how people responded to the movies before uh, checking to see if maybe there's interest in re-releasing the um, the TV series again. Yeah, uh, I would say the interest would be uh, quite good because uh, uh, we because uh, we didn't mention this, but uh, we actually had a quite we actually had a little bit of trouble with uh, figuring out a recording channel for this movie for these movies yeah. because. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the Blu-rays uh, sold out almost immediately for pre-orders. So it, yeah. yeah, so we had a hard time figuring out if we were even going to be able to get our hands on this in time. Which isn't unusual for uh, Sentai releases. A lot of times when they have uh, uh, movie releases or like LE releases, there are times where they kind of go out of print initially, or rather they run out of their pre-orders. I just didn't expect it for this particular franchise. Yeah, like that was really shocking. Yeah. But so. uh, but very but very much appreciated. So uh, yeah, you see, sometimes it's bad to say, uh, give us a new release of the TV series. Uh, and uh, if you and uh, you know, I wouldn't even mind a, I wouldn't even mind if they uh, maybe gave us a new dub of the TV series with this cast. I, I think I'd take that. I, I, I wouldn't oppose uh, it. I. I, I just wouldn't want to lose the original dub because I don't like it when yeah, there's yeah, re-releases of yeah, stuff. And yeah, you lo lost media. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to lose the original dub completely. But uh, hey, I mean, it, uh, but hey, I mean, if we could get a new dub on top of that, that would be pretty cool. But, I mean, uh, sure. Two kicks. Give us two kicks. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, do do what uh, Discotech is doing with the Digimon the movie release, where they're yes, they're giving us a new dub for the original. Uh, for the movies, but they're also retaining the original uh, 2000 release of the movie, where it was just three movies stitched together. Mm -hmm. so, um, what else? Uh, so, where can the people uh, find uh, this podcast, if they're so inclined? Yeah, so, uh, Weird and Temp Talk Podcast, you can find... It's a, uh, we have new episodes going up every two weeks normally, and uh, we're usually on we're usually on YouTube, or where, or you can find our audio versions on places like uh, Spotify, Podbean, uh, all the podcast places. Uh, you can also follow us on social media on uh, the uh, the ever sinking ship that is Twitter. I'm not going to call it whatever it must feels like calling it. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. We we had the same discussion. Uh, we were recording an episode that's probably won't be released until after this one. Uh, and yeah, that was like, we're kind of called Twitter guys. We're not going to call it the new thing. So you, you know what Twitter is. We're still there. Yeah. So we're on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, etc. And, uh, if you want to add, if you'd like to support us, you can give us a one-time donation for a Kofi, or, uh, you can be one of our lovely, lovely patrons. And, uh, before we wrap up tonight, we're going to shout them out. Uh, in the $5 tier, we have Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, and Victor Marabona. And in the ten dollar tier we have Anthony Brown, Carly Lessacow, Julie W, Kimber Soup, Mercilenti, and Otaku Anthony. Uh, thanks for your support, guys. We always really appreciate you. 
Absolutely. Thank you guys so much, and I hope that you have been enjoying this summer at the movies extravaganza. Hey, so, uh, Noah, where can the people find you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at NoahClue. Uh, I'm currently, uh, let's see, it's the middle of summer right now. Well, two-thirds of the way through summer. So, um, probably posting pictures of my family uh, going around town doing weird summery stuff, or having discussions about animation from around the world. Um, I, of course, support the writer and actor's strike that is going on right now, which unfortunately does not really extend to voiceover artists or animators, uh, but those folks should absolutely be given similar protection against um, reduced streaming residuals, um, basically everything else that the people are striking about. Uh, I will probably be ranting about that on social media. So Yep, absolutely. Pay your people. Yep. Just pay them. And where can the fine folks find you, Jet? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Divideaga, where I'll usually be talking about uh, anime or manga or comics or uh, the strikes that are currently going on. Just, just pay people. It's not that hard. And, uh, I, can't, I can't imagine... I can't imagine anyone who's listening to our our podcast is in the anti-workers uh, group. Although, if you are, what are you doing here? Yeah. And uh, aside from that, uh, you can also find me on another podcast, Podcast Oday, where I'm usually talking about anime news alongside fellow Dumb Talk host Andrew. And uh, you can also find me on my new blog, uh, The Nerdy Abyss, where... Uh, most of the time, I'm usually just uh, doing a wiki where that's uh, whatever Shonen Jump stuff I'm reading. And uh, with that, I guess that more or less wraps things up for tonight. Uh, thanks for joining me, Noah. Not a problem. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, all you people, stay tuned because uh, next episode is our very big finale to Summer at the Movies, where we will get into... Well, it's a big surprise, although if you check the schedule, you know what it is. But let's just say that's going to be a... <laughs> musical extravaganza yeah i think you guys will be really excited with this one but uh yeah uh thanks for joining us all and until next time i'll talk to one and have a good evening aloha and uh welcome to rock and roll night welcome to rock and roll night you're a rock and roll man penguin (laughs) drone